All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. One of the worst possible taxes is currently being levied against you. And here's the crazy part. There was no specific bill that Congress actually voted on or passed in order to raise this against you. Instead, it's been a regular part of monetary policy for the last several decades. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Okay, well, Nick, you say we're taxed all the time, and we're taxed for a variety of different reasons. And sure, we're all fed up about it, but what is this hidden tax you speak of? Okay, the hidden tax is inflation. And what we're going to discuss today is we're going to go over some of the common narratives that we now see with respect to kind of the leftist viewpoint on inflation. Maybe, you know, everything from modern monetary theory to some of just the, you know, the, the stuff coming out of the Federal Reserve, some of the stuff that, you know, elected officials are saying. But we're really going to focus on kind of three primary narratives that we hear around this whole concept of inflation and monetary policy. And before anybody like glazes over and thinks, wow, this is going to be truly exciting to hear all about monetary policy, let me tell you why this is so important up front so that we can explain why the arguments that we're about to make are absolutely critical for you, not just with respect to the conversations that you have with other people, but also with respect to preparing you for what could happen next if the government continues to go along this, this path. The reason why inflation is a hidden tax is because essentially it's devaluing your currency, and it's not as if there's some sort of, you know, again, tax bill that, that Congress has to pass. Essentially, when the Federal Reserve starts engaging in things like quantitative easing, that's one of those terms that you hear being used, and they start pushing more money into the overall supply, in the overall economy, more what they call fiat currency, you wind up with a situation where the overall value of your dollar starts to go down. Right? And that's why Milton Friedman referred to it as a hidden tax, is because essentially that money that you have in the savings or that, that dollar bill that you used to spend on something yesterday doesn't buy as much as it does the next day or in the future. Right, And that's why, in, in a way, what the government is doing is they're printing money and the government's spending it right away, so they're still getting to some degree the full value of that dollar. But as more money enters into the marketplace in exchange, the overall value of individual dollars goes down, and that affects you. And that's one of the reasons why you see prices raising. However, there's another argument or there's another, uh, let's just say, 
you know, narrative with respect to why prices are rising or people that are suggesting that inflation is not as bad as sometimes it's made out to be, or that there's different ways that the government can, can curb it without necessarily slowing down the rate at which they inflate the currency. So let's talk about some of that, right? One of the first things I want to hear, or one of the first things I want to discuss is this whole concept of inflation is transitory, right? You've heard this from the federal, uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. It's this idea that, well, you know, inflation just kind of happens and sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down and sometimes we have deflation. And this is just part of the natural process. Or is it, right? We're going to be answering that question on whether or not it's actually part of the natural process. Another thing that you hear a lot of times is that, no, it's not that inflation is causing prices to go up. It's greedy business owners, right? Greedy business owners who just, you know, value profit above people and profit above their employees and apparently just despise and hate their customers are just arbitrarily raising prices because after all, they're business owners. And that's how prices work, right? Business owners get together in small little cabals and, you know, smoke-filled rooms and they just decide what prices are going to be. That's another argument here. What's the third narrative we're going to discuss? And that is, well, what's the big deal? Why can't you print more money? After all, isn't a little bit of inflation a sign of a strong economy? Don't we need to just print more money in order to get it into the hands of more people? Because after all, if more people are spending money, that's good for the economy, right? It's this whole idea of aggregate demand and consumer spending. And as long as we have all that going on, it really doesn't matter how much we print because ultimately it's going to be good for us economically, right? That's one of the third narratives that we see. And we're going to discuss all three of those today so you know how to respond to them. Now, here's the first thing that we have to make sure everyone understands, right? First things first. There's a lot of people that think inflation is when prices go up, right? So they might go to the store. The price of the apple was a dollar yesterday. Today, it's a dollar ten. Oh my gosh, inflation because the price went up. That is not what inflation is. This, this is the first thing to understand about the whole concept of, of inflation. Inflation is a monetary concept, right? It's, it's, inflation is not simply because prices go up. Prices can go up for a number of reasons. Inflation is when prices go up, not because the intrinsic value of the actual object is in greater demand. It's not because supply has been restricted, right? It's, it's none of those supply and demand reasons that, that typically cause prices to fluctuate. Inflation is when more currency has essentially been printed and put into the economy. Now, there's other ways it can happen, but the one we're focusing on here, because it's the one relevant to us, is this idea of fiat currency. And that's paper money that is not tied to anything. It's not tied to gold. It's not tied to silver. It's not even necessarily tied to exchange rates. It's primarily just tied to the good faith and credit of the United States government. So what the United States government is doing is it's saying... You know, hey, look, we're going to tax you and we will accept these little Federal Reserve notes as payment for taxes, right? And so we're going to print off these and we're going to allow you to use them in the economy in order to facilitate uh, trade and exchange. And so it's this idea that when they print more of those dollars, right, the, the individual value of each unit, each dollar goes down because money is actually a commodity, right? Because money... Uh, like a, a paper dollar doesn't have any really intrinsic value in and of itself. What a paper dollar is good for is the goods and services you can get in exchange for it, right? It is, it is a method of exchange. And the more of those units, right, the more of the method of exchange that you put out there, the, the um, less the individual value of each unit is actually worth in the economy. So it's not that the price of the apple went up because supply was down and demand was high. No, the, the price of the apple went up because there's more dollar bills within the economy, which makes the, the value of each dollar bill, you know, less, 
And so now you need more of those dollar bills in order to actually command the same purchasing power that you did you know, a year ago or two years ago. So that's what inflation is, right? Inflation is not just prices going up, right? Prices are, are generally set in accordance with supply and demand, okay? But in inflation, the reason why prices are going up is because the government has printed off more money, printed off more dollar bills, and now each dollar bill has less purchasing power than it did previously. That's what inflation is. So don't be confused by people going out there and trying to suggest that you know, a business can lead to inflation by simply you know, charging more for its products. That's not, that's not inflation in the sense that we're talking about. Okay, so now that we know what inflation is, how do we address some of these narratives that we see coming up, predominantly from the left, but sometimes from the right as, as well, or even the center? And this is the first thing that we need to understand, right? So let, let's, let's talk about that first claim, right? That inflation is transitory. All right. Well, if it is, we're still waiting for a transition in the opposite direction because what we've seen over the last, you know, hundred plus years is this idea of the dollar being regularly devalued year after year with very, very few exceptions, right? There are some, but very, very few exceptions. So let's talk about what that actually means. So if you look at the purchasing power of your dollar, so we're, we're going to go back all the way back to 100 years. So let's go back to 1921, right? We're in the year 2021. We're going back 100 years, 1921, okay? So when you look at the total number of people in the population, the total number of dollars in circulation, at that time, you actually had the dollar tied to everything from things like gold to exchange rates, things like that, which actually restricted the amount that the Federal Reserve could simply put out more money. What that means is that in 1921, your dollar was worth about 15 times what it is today, right? So the overall purchasing power of that single dollar was worth about, you need $15 in order to buy the same amount of goods today that you did back then, right? That's due to inflation. What about 50 years ago? Well, 50 years ago, you would need $1, you need $6 today to buy what $1 would buy 50 years ago. And now here's the crazy part. Just 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, the overall value of your dollar has gone down by over 20%. So over 20% just in the last 10 years, which means if you made $80,000 10 years ago and you got a $20,000 pay raise from 10 years ago to today, your overall purchasing power would be no greater because of inflation. Right, and not be not because they're you know economic stagnation, not because but because the Federal Reserve has been continually printing out more money, you would have to make twenty thousand dollars more now than you did ten years ago in order to essentially have the exact same purchasing power. So it's important to understand that a lot of times when politicians are out there pointing the finger at greedy business or you know you know greedy entrepreneurs or capitalism or whatnot. One of the primary reasons why your paycheck doesn't go as far today as it did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is because of the politicians which are printing out this money at breakneck paces in order to facilitate either their spending or to butter up the cronyists sometimes on Wall Street, right? Because again, this is one of the things that you know about this podcast and about where I stand is that I am a pro-free market guy. That doesn't mean I trust every business owner out there. It doesn't mean I trust every corporation out there. I trust a free and open process. And when I see people, whether they be within the government sector or in the private sector, attempting to use government to manipulate things, to manipulate the marketplace on their behalf, 
That's not capitalism. That's cronyism. And I despise it. And that's the problem that we have going on right now is, again, that there is an incentive for government officials to keep printing money because either they don't want to be the president that saw a market correction or they want to be able to spend a lot of money on government projects, but they don't want to have to tax people because there's a certain degree to where people will not accept more taxes. Or there's a certain degree where you can tax where you actually get less revenue because you've actually discouraged productive economic behavior. And so they use the printing press in order to try to get what they want. Right? That is problematic. And when we look at this whole idea is inflation transitory, well, it seems to only be you know, transitory in one direction, which kind of violates this whole idea of transitory in the way that we, we, we expect it when they're, when they're talking about this. So let me give you another example of, now you, you could come back with the argument that, okay, well, maybe inflation was bad at diff, different times within our economy, you know, wartime, things like that. There were some sort of extreme circumstances. We had COVID. Maybe that's why the government had to print all this money. Here's what you need to understand about the current amount of money amount of U.S. Federal Reserve notes within the U.S. economy right now. 40% of all U.S. dollars currently in circulation were printed in the last two years, right? Over 40%. So think about that. Half of the money supply that we currently have in the economy was printed within the last two years. That is massive printing. And we're at a point right now, that's why you're seeing like 5% inflationary rates, you know, going month to month. That, that's horrible. That is why you're seeing an increase on prices across the board is because even if we do have better supply systems, even if you do have less demand for something, the equilibrium is completely thrown off the way it would otherwise operate within the marketplace because the government keeps printing money and throwing it into the economy. So the overall value of your dollar is going down significantly over the last two years because of government monetary policy, not greedy businesses, politicians in the Federal Reserve making an active decision. And, and I will say this, there are businesses there, especially within the stock market and Wall Street, that are pressuring the government to continue to you know, expand this everything bubble that we're currently finding ourselves in as a result, in large part, because of the monetary policy that the federal government is pushing. So, so there is blame to go around among both government entities and members of the private sector that are asking for this. The important thing to understand, though, is that the reason why I, I primarily blame the government for this is because the government is the one that has the power to do it. The government can come back and say, look, th this is inappropriate. We should not be printing money at this rate. We, we need to rein in our spending. We need to get our fiscal policy under control and we need to get our monetary policy. The government has the exclusive power to be able to do that and they refuse to do it. So that's why they get the, the main part of my ire from me. Let's look at the second part of this. All right, so that's what inflation is and how inflation has actually affected your dollar over the last 100 years and how we can expect to affect it within the next several years because of all the money that's been printed within the last, again, 20 months. Now, this goes back to the old, the old argument that, you know, the real reason why we're seeing prices rise is because businesses are greedy and, and businesses are setting their prices higher because they know that after COVID, more people are coming back into the economy and they just got their stimulus checks and they want to spend money and they want to actually get back to, to normal life as much as possible. And so businesses are just arbitrarily raising those prices because they're just going to gouge those customers and make as much as they want because they are greedy. Here's what I want you to understand, right? Greed is a motivator, but it's not an action. 
And, and, and I've got news for every politician out there that thinks that business owners or people that work hard for their money who want to keep more of it, who think they're the greedy ones, as Thomas Sowell once said, I have never understood why it is greed to want to keep more of what you earn, but not greed to want to take what somebody else has earned. And what's currently going on in the economy right now is not that business owners, yeah, business owners want to make a profit. They should. Making a profit within a free market system is how consumers tell a business owner that you have a, done a good job providing the products and services that I want, right? That's what the profit is. But this idea that businesses can just set prices however they want, no, they can't, not within a free market. The only time where you see businesses in an environment where they can truly set prices essentially wherever they want it is when they're granted a government monopoly. Right? But in a free market system, the moment a business starts to charge way too much for a particular product, a couple of things happen. Either A, people find alternatives. So if you're charging too much for something and you're doing it purely because you're greedy, what ends up happening is somebody else comes up and starts to provide either the same product at a better price or they provide an alternative product at a better price and you lose your business. And how do we know this happens? I don't know. Over 200 years of economic history within the United States, where we see certain titans of industry that we thought would be around forever, not lasting past 80, you know, 90, 100 years, some of them not even that long. So no, businesses do not get to arbitrarily set prices because they are greedy. You can sit on your couch and think greedy thoughts all day long. You know how much money it's going to make you? Zero. Now, if somebody goes out and commits some sort of action, like for instance, if a business goes and lobbies the government for some sort of regulatory protection or some sort of tax subsidization for their industry or their company, yes, that is an action which I believe is fueled by greed. Because you're essentially saying, I want to take something from somebody else in order to benefit myself. That's a greedy action. But somebody going out there and saying, you know what, I want to make a lot of money. And the way I'm going to make a lot of money is by being so good at using scarce resources in order to provide products and services that other people want and that other people can choose to buy from my competitors if I don't do a good job. I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong with that. If their motivation is they just want to make a lot of money because they want to own a yacht one day, I don't care. Are they providing products and services that people want? to people that can choose to do business with somebody else if they don't do a good job? If the answer to that question is yes, great, do a good job. And if you do do a good job and you get that yacht one day, more power to you, brother or sister. I don't care because I'm not a naturally greedy or envious person that's constantly looking at the, the gains of somebody else and thinking that, wow, the only person that, the only way that person could have got rich was by taking a bigger piece of the pie that could have gone to me. No, that's not how this works. And it's completely economically illiterate to suggest that businesses have some sort of all-encompassing power to set prices wherever they want. No, they don't. They have to be responsive to supply and demand within the marketplace. They have to arrange all of the different costs associated with bringing that good or service to you. Whether it's the cup of coffee or the tire for your car or the iPhone or whatever it is, they have to manage all those different costs of production, all those different regulatory costs, the tax costs, the transportation costs, all of that. They have to manage that in order to get you a product that you're still willing to buy with the knowledge that if they don't do a good job, you can go to a competitor or you can find an alternative. And for, again, for the people that think, what about monopolies? I, I encourage you to show me. In U.S. history, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Show me a legitimate monopoly that has existed in this country that didn't have special protections from the government. 
Because monopoly, monopolies within private sector, with, within free markets, and I'm not talking about perfectly free markets, I'm just talking about largely free markets, where you have a government that, generally speaking, does not intervene, but rather stays back and just sets what the boundaries of the rules are. You show me a monopoly that's been able to exist, or show me a monopoly, something that you may consider to be an, a monopoly, that has existed, and the way that they've existed has been by essentially, you know, screwing over their customers with high prices. Because here's what I find fascinating. One of the most common examples that people use as an example of a monopoly in the United States is Standard Oil. Now, Standard Oil got up to about 90% of the market share within the United States. But here's the interesting part. You look at when Standard Oil started and you look at when Standard Oil had 90% of the market share and you look at the price of kerosene and, and the other byproducts they were using, they went down exponentially almost every single year. The reason why it had cornered so much of the market share within a free market system was not because the government gave it a special monopoly. The reason why it did it was because it was more competitive and it did a better job at reducing waste and maximizing the effectiveness and the efficiency of all of their processes. And the end result was as poor people could afford something that a decade before, two decades before, three decades before, only wealthy people could afford. So spare me this idea that businesses can go in and just arbitrarily set prices as high as they want because they control the goods. No, they don't. They only control the goods that they have. And the bottom line is they have every incentive to want to sell them. But if the government is coming in and inflating your currency and making sure that every dollar that you have is less valuable than it was the day before, well then yeah, prices have to go up in order to acknowledge that change in the economy Otherwise, that business which sold you the tire or the iPhone or the pair of shoes or whatever it is, they're not going to be able to buy the same amount of resources in order to restock their shelves the next time you come in. So now the business owner not only has to anticipate all of the normal factors of production and supply before they sell something to you, now on top of that, they also have to become inflationary experts because of what politicians are doing. So. Let me just make that very, very clear. Now, here's the other question. And this is the, the third component, right? And that's why can't we just print more money? Well, you could, right? So if, if your solution to inflation is, well, okay, I know we're printing a lot of money and it's devaluing the dollar, but we, we can print more money because after all, the US government is the one that controls the currency. And as long as, the, as, long as we can keep that monopolistic control over the currency, well, then the, the US government can just pull the strings and manipulate it just so in order to get what we want. Except here's the problem. This has been tried before. It was tried in ancient Rome 1,800 years ago. It was tried in the Yuan Dynasty 800 years ago. It was tried in the Weimar Republic 100 years ago. And it was tried in Zimbabwe 12 years ago. It doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't is because as much as you try to manipulate inflationary monetary policy, here's the problem that happens. And we've seen this within the United States. And you can go back to 1987 because the bubble that we're in right now didn't start with COVID. It didn't start with the latest you know, uh, printing of money. The, the current bubble that we're in, you can actually go back to 1987 when, Alan, when we had, a, we had a, um, a down day in the market, a significant correction in the market, and Alan Greenspan, who was chairman of the Fed at the time, decided that what we were going to do is what he called the Greenspan put, and he was just going to flex more cash into the economy, and that was going to prevent the market correction from taking place. Well, so in, in the 90s, when, when the market was booming, did we all of a sudden, did, did, did we change the interest rates again? Did we, did we adopt a far more uh, conservative and responsible monetary policy? 
Not really. And then what happened with the housing bubble? Oh, well, we, we inflated it again. And what was the solution? Oh, well, we're going to double down and print more money and put more money into the economy in order to make up for the fact that we had a huge housing bubble. And here's the part that they never seem to understand. Every time there is a market correction, all right, the, the people that are, that are advocating for just throwing more money into the economy through the printing press are essentially saying that they have to do so in order to prevent an economic collapse. The problem is, is that you're not actually preventing the economic collapse. What you're doing is inflating the bubble even higher and pushing it down the road. So you're going to take something that would have been perhaps a simple market correction that could have worked itself out over a couple of years. And now you've created something that you're actually leading toward a great depression because when it finally collapses, it's going to be so much worse than it otherwise would have been if you would have just allowed for the market correction to take place initially. But since no politician wants to be the president that presides over the return to monetary sanity, their incentive, and this goes both parties, I am blaming both parties. The incentive is always, nope, we're going to kick the can a little bit farther down the road. As long as it doesn't happen during my administration, I, I'm happy. And, and maybe we can outgrow the bubble. That's, that's always been the thing. Maybe we can outgrow the bubble. Well, good luck with that. Because what Democrats have done, what Republicans have done, what the Federal Reserve has done for the last several decades now has been to inflate our currency, to devalue our currency to such a degree to where when you look at the speculation on Wall Street within the housing market, within commodities markets, what you end up seeing is a bubble which is affecting not just one industry, but multiple industries because so much of it is tied to inflationary monetary policy. And part of the question that we have to ask ourselves as individuals is, how do we guard against this? Now, look, I am not here to provide you legal or financial advice, but I would definitely do research with respect to how you look at your portfolio within an inflationary monetary system, because that is what we're experiencing right now. And no good can come from that in the long term. Now, do I still have a great deal of faith in, in American entrepreneurship? Do I still have a great deal of faith in the American people to be able to be highly productive? Absolutely. But the problem that I see right now is not only do we have bad monetary policy, which is devaluing our currency and operates as a hidden tax against the very people that can least afford to pay it, we're also seeing a fiscal policy and an overall tax policy from this administration, which is punishing productivity. So at the same time that we're making your dollar less valuable, we are punishing you for making the very dollars that the government is relying upon to actually spend all this money. So that's the problem that I have right now. And, and as individuals, we, we have an obligation to be able to fight against this culturally when we talk about the dangers of inflation, we talk about the, the dangers of inappropriate and irresponsible monetary policy on behalf of our politicians. We have an obligation to also make sure that our own families and our businesses are prepared for potential consequences of these sorts of policies. And we have an obligation to make sure that people are not caught unawares when they're, when they're, one of my biggest concerns with all of this is that people are going to go to the store. They're going to see that everything costs more. They're going to be frustrated. And then politicians are going to get on and talk about, this is about a failure of capitalism. This is about evil businesses and greedy entrepreneurs. When in reality, it's them. It is the very politicians that are pointing the finger in every other direction that are the ones to blame for the reason why you can't afford your grocery bill anymore. And I desperately want people to know where to properly assign the blame. 
And that's not playing the blame game. That's making sure that we do not repeat the same mistakes. Because the bottom line is, we are going to have an economic correction in this country. We have to. You cannot keep, you cannot have a federal government or any government that continues to engage in this sort of monetary policy, fiscal policy, and tax policy without having economic consequences as a result. And one of the most important things we can do when we are making the argument is make sure that people understand the proper origins of the problem instead of allowing politicians to get away with economic devastation based off of their policies and then convincing people that the only road out is to once again, of course, give them more power and control over the economy. I hope you found this helpful. Please like, subscribe, comment, let us know what you think. And always share. If you want more people to be able to see this, to be able to have access to these arguments, make sure that you share it with your friends. It's one of the best ways that you can do it. Also, write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Nick Freitas, and we'll see you next time. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.